Make all my mistakes for love. There we go. Hey, there we go. All right, we rocking now. We rocking. Okay. All right. So again, you're at the True Gospel Morning Show, um, and we are going to uh, jump right into our uh, our our opening uh, statement for the day. Um, a question was asked yesterday, um, and I can't remember the person's name. I should have wrote it down. Um, but he would ask the question: um, Do you have um, um, do you have tangible, objective, verifiable truth of God's existence? Um, and uh, the truth of the matter is, I don't have uh, the the I don't have that type of um, that type of evidence of his existence. What's going on, Janae? What's going on, M. Kett? We see you. How you doing this morning? Um, but uh, but we I don't have the tangible proof of God's existence. And the more that I thought about that question over the course of the day, I real I, I started to realize, and the Holy Spirit started to reveal to me rather, um, that it's not our responsibility as Christians to show tangible proof of God's existence. Uh, we walk by faith and not by sight, right? We we love by we we walk by faith and not by sight, and because of that. Here is the thing, um, and I, we're going to walk through the scriptures to get a to get a, a real good understanding of what we mean by walking by faith and not by sight, and the fact that it is not our job as Christians to show proof of God's existence in that objective, verifiable way, but that that is God's job to prove Himself to us that we that He exists. Um. Go, starting in, ver, in, in starting in First Corinthians chapter two, going to verse number eight. Hey, you guys have heard me quote this scripture a, a bunch of times um, because you know you, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Um, it says to us, "None of the rulers of this age." Well, I'm gonna start at seven. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. What some people don't, well, some te what some people don't understand um, is that in order for us to understand the nature and the character of God, the way that he intends us to know him, we have to know him through the spirit. We have to know him through the spirit. Often is the case that we feel as though we have to have this, you know, intellectual knowledge of who God is and that intellectual knowledge of who God is, is the basis of our relationship with him. But all of the head knowledge in the world about God can still 
keep you out of the king can, can keep you out of the kingdom if you don't have a relationship with him soul to soul soul to spirit and so when we at when people are asking the question what is the tangible proof of God's existence the truth of the matter is we don't have the head knowledge the objective tangible proof head knowledge wise of God's existence in so much that unless we are archaeological um, you know scientists or unless we have gone and done extensive you know research gone to like dig sites and things like that and started looking up where things were and that sort of thing gone and looking at ancient scrolls and ancient texts and things of that nature we will we will never be able to give you objective verifiable tangible proof of God's existence and the truth of the matter is that's not our role that's not our lane that's not our job our job is to re is to reveal truth through the spirit in hopes that our spirits will catch what it is that we're saying because the things that God has given us is imparted to us soul to soul spirit to spirit as it says in 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 we no longer regard anything to in the material world everything that we regard now is of the spiritual world if we are been if we've been raised with Christ as it says in Colossians chapter 3 we are to set our minds on things above and not on the things of the world and in and, and as a result of that when asking for tangible proof we don't most Christians don't have tangible proof to give to anyone without that tangible proof that we do have being spiritually discerned and so what I'm in what I mean by that is I tell people all the time I'm the proof of God's existence you are the proof of God's existence we are the proof of God's existence because according to God's word he he is not slack concerning his promise and in in that he is patient in waiting for anyone who wants to become a part of this kingdom to become a part of the kingdom the patience and the kindness that he has for us is such to where he's letting a lot of us he's given us a given a lot of us a lot of slack when it comes to the walk that we're living contrary to God prior to having a relationship with him we often wonder sometimes why people who are why bad people quote unquote are allowed to live such long lives and yet good people good godly people even um, will sometimes end up having their lives cut short and we find that unfair God in his infinite wisdom allows people the opportunity even people who we feel don't deserve to have an opportunity to 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 live long enough to be confronted by him in such a way to where they're given the decision are you going to be with me or are you not um and but again that thing about us we being the proof of God's existence that has to be spiritually discerned because to tell just to say that to someone they're like that's not proof that God exists that's not you're not proof that God exists I'm not proof that God exists you know we're just here where is the tangible proof that God exists and so what so again when we are trying to spiritually discern the things of the things of God when we use the text and use the scriptures to understand the mind of God and understand understand the heart of God and to understand our heart's posture toward God, we turn to Psalm chapter 8 to see the posture that we as people should have in terms of when we when in terms of 
you know, reveling in God's existence. It says in um, Psalm 8, starting at verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Some of y'all will hear this as, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now this is a Psalm of David. And what this and what I can imagine in my mind you know, David probably sitting out somewhere in a field. You know, he's the king and all that, right? And so he's sitting out in a field. And he's looking out. And, you know, he's and it's got probably nighttime because he talks about the moon and the stars, right? You know, he looks out into the world. And he looks out in on the field. And he looks into the sky. And he sees the moon. And this is before streetlights. So you can imagine he can see billions of stars all just twinkling and shining up above his head. There's no, there's no whole lot of air pollution because you know we he we we're we're not in the age where carbon dioxide is all up in the air and stuff and messing up the ozone layer. And he's just looking out and everything, and in his heart just bursts this this desire to praise and worship God. And he says, God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens, and that's talking about above the stars in the sky. And out of the mouth of babes and infants, you've established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy of the avenger. But verses three through us, uh, three through um, six, really encapsulate what we're talking about here. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? When he looks out at the world, and he looks out at everything that God has created, he says to himself, and he says to himself, Who am I that you are mindful of me, compared to everything else in this world that you have created? That's a level of worship that can only be spiritually discerned because he looks out into the world and he's seeing the, the, the majesty of God's design looking out into the stars looking out into the heavens looking out into the world looking out into everything that's going on in the world and he's saying my goodness everything that God has created is so freaking spectacular the stars and how they're formed in the sky, the grass and how it grows, the trees and how they how they do what they do, the the flowers, the birds, the animals, the the bears, the beasts, like 
all this stuff that you've created, God, who am I that you are mindful of me? Who, who am I that you are mindful of me? That requires a level of spiritual discernment and a level of spiritual connection with God to be looking out into the world and being like, dude, what, what is man that you are mindful of him? What, what is man that you are mindful of me? Like, I don't, I don't, I can't fathom why you care about me considering everything else in this world that you've created. Like, everything else in this world that you've designed, everything else in this world that you have done, who am I that you're mindful of me? And yet, as it says in verse 5, you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. And that 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 def, that that putting all things under his feet is a prophetic word talking about Jesus and how all things are under submission to him and this again is David it just rolling up in worship not even realizing probably what he's even saying but in that moment in that spiritual discernment that spiritual connection he has with God he's prophetically talking about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ how giving him dominion over everything and putting all things under his submission. When we have a relationship and a connection with God, when we have a desire of uh, that, we have when we have a connection and a desire with God, when we have a relationship with God, when we are when we are realizing that you know we are we are spiritual beings. We start to have an understanding that I don't have to prove to anybody God's existence. God has already put everything in the world. Everything in the world belongs to God. Everything is, is under his command. I don't have to prove God's existence because he's already done that. He's already talked about the fact <clears throat> He's already talked about the fact that we have a relationship with him. We have a desire to talk to him. We have a desire to long to be with him. And in that desire, he reveals to us, he reveals to us the truth about who he is and what he is to the world. I don't have to prove my existence, prove his existence to anyone because the fact of the matter is by, by trying to prove the existence of God, by trying to prove the existence of God, I am trying to put myself in God's place. And I don't have to do that. God has already proven his existence by just putting everything out there in the world and, uh, and, and saying to everybody in the world, everything that is in here is the proof of my existence. Everything that is around you Everything that is in you, everything that is a part of you, is the proof of my existence. And that term would that make them with it that sends us to Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, starting at verse eighteen. Well, let me start at verse sixteen. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, 
For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Is revealed, um, there we go. Is revealed, um, is revealed, um, is revealed from faith for faith. For as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about them, about God, is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse for although they knew God they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened claiming to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things therefore God gave them up in their lust of their hearts to impurity. So again, what this is saying, excuse me, is that everything in the world, everything in the world, excuse me, everything in the world proves to us, everything in the world that's, that we see going on in the world is proof of God's existence everything that we see in the world again none of us none of us have to prove the existence of God because God has already done that work the problem with a lot of people is that their hearts are so darkened and their their eyes are so blinded and their minds are so turned against him that they can't see the proof that is plainly there they will use whatever they have to use as an argument to counter the existence of God so that what's plainly out there for everybody to see they will use that to try to disprove God's existence <clears throat> it is not our responsibility and it is not our job to try to prove the existence of of God it's not our job and it's not our task and it's not our responsibility to prove God's existence our responsibility is to teach Jesus is to preach Jesus is to share Jesus but the burden of proof of proving God's existence is on God and God has already done that work the problem with us is that we are not looking at God and looking at his creation through the Spirit Instead, we're trying to use our finite minds and our finite eyes and our finite hearts to discern what is spiritually discerned. And our minds and our hearts and our, um, our intellect, our eyes, our senses cannot see what is meant to be seen in the spirit. And so for a lot of us, when we're talking about one of this objective, verifiable, um, unopinionated, unbiased truth of God's existence, 
we don't have it. Most of us Christians don't have that proof. I don't, I'm not an archaeologist. I'm not a scientist. I'm not someone who knows how to carbon date anything. So I don't have the tangible proof that you're looking for to prove God's existence. The only proof that I have is that I'm here. The only proof that I have is looking out into the into my backyard and looking at the grass that's growing in the ground and the in the trees that are growing behind my fence and the sky and the clouds and the blue sky that that's up there and the sun that's up there and the moon and the stars. That is all that I have as proof of God's existence. The love that I have for my brothers and sisters is the proof of God's existence. The love that I share with my fellow um, with my fellow men and women, that is the proof of God's existence. But that's all I have. I'm not a scientist. I don't have a time machine. I can't go back in time to go, you know, send us to the day that God got that Christ got crucified. I don't have any of that stuff. But what I do have is a loving savior who is who um has imbued me with the Holy Spirit. And by virtue of the, the spiritual discernment that he's given me and given, you know, the body of Christ, we can spiritually discern that God exists using the scriptures that he has given us to be able to share the word of God with everyone who's willing to listen in hopes that their hearts will be pierced in such a way to where they can now clearly see God's existence the way that we do because again God's existence is plainly put out there like it cannot be more it can't it can't we hmm, we will sometimes outthink ourselves out of the kingdom because we feel like we got to have more there's got to be more I need more give me more we will outthink ourselves out of the kingdom of God because that the, the proof that God has given me is not enough. The, the what, God, what God has put out there is not enough for me to believe. So I'm not going to believe because until he gives me exactly what I want, the way that I want it, how I want it, I'm not going to believe in him. And again, it says in, in this word that God's invisible attributes are plainly seen in the world. Like, it don't get any plainer than that. So again... I don't have to, I don't have to, no one has to prove God's existence by giving objective, verifiable, you know, un unbiased, unopinionated truth. Instead, our task is to give people the word, give people Jesus in hopes that some will be saved, hopes that everybody will be saved, but knowing that some people are still going to look at us like we're dumb. And be like, you know what, I'm still not going to believe because you're not giving me what I need to know of God's existence. And as a result of that, God will get, God has given them over to a reprobated mind. And we pray that God will open their hearts and open their minds and give them, and give them the peace and the hope that we are looking for. But again, it is not our task as Christians, as believers to go tit for tat with people over trying to prove God's existence. God has already done that work. God has already done that work in the visible attributes that are out there in the world that are tethered to his invisible attributes and his divine nature. And so our job is not to go blow for blow to try to prove God's existence. Because for what? At the end of the day, proving God's existence is not going to amount to a hill of beans when it comes to someone wanting to give their life over to Christ. There's, there's nothing that we can give to anyone 
that can prove his existence in such a way to produce faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not tangible proof, not tangible evidence. Because at the end of the day, even Christ himself said to Thomas, you felt my hands, you felt the piercings in my hands and believed. But better it is for those who have not seen and yet still believe. And so again, it is not our job and it's not our task to prove God's existence. God has already done that work. Our job is to share Jesus with others so that they can then have the Spirit of God living, resting, ruling, and abiding in Him, in, in them um, um, upon repentance and belief. Upon repentance and belief. So that then the Spirit of God can reveal to them, as He's revealed to us, God's existence. As it says again in Romans chapter 1, verse 19, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And so again, the trees that you see that are growing out of the ground is the proof of God's existence. The grass that is growing out of the ground right now is the proof of God's existence. The clouds that are in the sky are the proof of God's existence. The, the sky and how blue it is on some days and purple and pink on other days, depending upon if a rainstorm's coming, that is the proof of God's existence. The stars in the sky and the moon that shines the way that it does, that is the proof of God's existence. The, the smiling faces that you walk around every single day, that is the proof of God's existence. The, 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 the animals that you, that, you, that you are raising in your home, the dogs, the cats, the birds, the snakes, whatever it is that you're raising in your home, they are the proof of God's existence. The flowers that are growing in the ground, that is the proof of God's existence. The fact that you and I are here, we are the proof of God's existence. The fact that we are able to communicate one with another, that is the proof of God's existence. The fact that we are, you know, living and breathing and hair grows out of our heads and, you know, and, and our bodies function the way that they do, that is the proof of God's existence. The fact that we're able to, you know, share knowledge with one another and come to great conclusions and have great philosophical debates and the fact that we're able to feel things the, 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 of the cool breeze, that is the proof of God's existence. The fact that we have oceans and lakes and rivers and mountains and valleys, those are all the proof of God's existence. Everything in this world that has been made, it is the proof of God's existence. And the only way to revel in that is you have to have a relationship with the Lord. Because only by a relationship with the Lord can we then spiritually see and spiritually understand that everything in this world is the proof of God's existence. And because of that, again, we as, as Christians, we have nothing to debate. We have nothing to talk about. We have nothing to discuss. There is, again, if, you're, if we're trying to give tangible, objective, verifi, verifi, verifiable, unbiased truth, 
that is not our lane. That's not our role unless you are in that field doing archaeological digs and, you know, doing, um, you know, science, do, pulling scientific carbon dating and all that type of stuff. For us as believers, that's not our lane. That's not our role. So there's no point in going through going through that, that rigmarole with people in so much that, again, the proof is right here in the pudding in Romans chapter 1 as well as Psalm 8. Everything in this world created by God is the proof of his existence. And that's all we got to stand on. Like that that's all we that's all we have that's all we got to stand on. Like we don't have to stand on anything else because what God has done is he's made it to where he has blinded the eyes of those who refuse to love him so that no matter what you say, no matter what you show, no matter what you give, no matter what evidence you provide, they are still not going to believe in God. But that is not because of the proof itself. It's because their hearts have been darkened, their hearts have been hardened, and they've been given over to a reprobated mind. And as a result, they are never going to hear what you're saying unless and until God breaks that heart up. And in doing so, plants the seed of the gospel that grows them into a relationship to where they can then see for themselves the proof of God's existence. So we're saying all that to say, um, thanks be to God that he loved us so much that he has given us a spiritual eye. He's given us spiritual discernment. We no longer see the world in the physical material. We see things only in the spiritual we're, and, 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 and our job and our task is to set our minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the, seated in the heavenly hidden in the heavenly places. Our job is to see things in the spirit and not in the material. So that when we look out into the world and we see the things that are in the world and we see, you know, the we see nature and we see relationships, we see movies, we see the things we see, we are always looking to see, always looking to see, you know, where is God in this? And we can plainly see it. We can plainly see it because God has given us the eye to do so. And so anyone who, you, who wants to get into a bit debate about, you know, um, you know, proving God's existence and, you know, God is not real and you can't prove it because you, you're, you're, so you're saying you can't prove and this, that, and the third, take them straight to Romans chapter 1. But don't take them to one to try to prove yourself right and them wrong. Just let them know. God said to us that everything that's in this world is the proof of his existence. And so if you don't see it, it's because you don't have the eye to see what God is plainly showing to all of us as believers. And that's okay. Because it may just not be your time to see it. And so whatever God has to do in his loving patience and kindness as he's working on you to have a heart in a, in a walk with him, that is what he's going to do to get you to the point where he wants to see, um, every, where he wants you to see who he is. And so thanks be to God that he gives us the spiritual eye and allows us to love our brothers and sisters and to love those who don't have a walk with God and pray for everyone that we continue to see in the spirit, that we see in the spiritual so that again his invisible attributes and his divine nature are clearly seen in the things that are here and if you have an eye to see 
and an ear to hear. God is willing to show you his, the depths of his truth simply by going out into the world and looking out into the world and seeing the hand of God in everything that you see. There was a parable that, or not necessarily, not necessarily a parable, but there was a, a, a phrase that Jesus said to his disciples um, that unless a seed dies, it cannot produce a harvest. <clears throat> um, about four homes ago, um, my, my, um, uh, there was a tree that was in our backyard that was hit by lightning um, long before we had gotten there. And this tree was just dead. It was dead. It was rotting. It was dead and rotting. And all around, every so often, bark would fall from this tree. Bark would fall from the tree. And it would just, just you know, and I, and I was lazy, so I wasn't about to clean it up. And then about a few weeks later, from that dead bark, things would start to grow from it. Things would start to grow from it. There was a whole bunch of life around this dead tree. Vines just growing all around this tree. And... Every time I looked at this tree, and every time I looked at everything that was growing around this tree, this tree is dead. This tree, there is no life coming from this tree. No life coming from the tree. There was so much growing around it, though. And every time I would look at this tree, it would remind me of the goodness of God. How he said, As a, if, unless a seed dies, it cannot grow a harvest. And, 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 and Jesus was saying to his disciples, unless I get on that cross and die for the sins of the world, we will never be able to be ushered into the kingdom of heaven. That that was a, a metaphor of the goodness of God and what he did for us. What he did for us. That he got on the cross, died for our sins, and rose again, that we may have eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in so, every time when I looked at that tree, it, it just rolled up to worship. And I thought about, I saw, thought about Psalm 8. Lord, when I look out into the, in the sky and I see the moon and the stars and how your hand is just all up in that, what is man that you are mindful of him? When I looked out at that tree and I saw the metaphor of Jesus in that despite this tree is dead and gone, there's so much life growing around it. There's so much life growing growing on it for crying out loud what God wh who am I that you are mindful of me you died for me you rose for me you 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 give you gave your life for me you got on the cross and died that I might live like my goodness like you've done so much for me like you didn't have to do that but you did and you did it for me so just like this tree is giving off pieces of itself and multiplying itself you know, that's what you've done for us. By your death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and future return, you have multiplied the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Like, we're, 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 we're clamoring for the kingdom, and you've given us such an access to the kingdom upon repentance and belief. Not by our works, not by our strength, not by our might, not by, by our intellect, not by our fame, not by our um, our resources, not by our influence, but by repentance and belief in you, you have given us entry into the kingdom. And because of that, the, the kingdom is, is just, the kingdom swells because of how many people are now entering into the kingdom 
um, if, if for salvation is free. And because of that tree, you know, that tree was a constant reminder of who God is. But if I didn't have a relationship with the Lord, I never would have been able to see that. I never would have been able to see that. I never would have been able to comprehend that. I never would have been able to understand that. And as a result, I thank God every day. I thank God every day that he, he gives us these reminders everywhere, plainly seen, plainly seen. Like you don't have to you don't have to go into a research library to find the existence of God. It's right here, plain as day for everyone to see. But you have to have the spiritual eye, the spiritual eye to see what God is showing us, to see what God is revealing to us. For at the end of the day, the things of God, the uh the what it says, the invisible attributes. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so we are, we are without excuse. And furthermore, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 10, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. So to all my friends who are looking for tangible proof of God's existence, you're not going to... I don't have to give it to you. We, as, you know, I'm going to call us regular believers, not, you know, because, and I'm saying regular in terms of, like, we ain't got no scholarly degree in archaeology, or we don't have, you know, the ability to carbon date stuff, like, you know, us regular folk, we don't have the tangible proof that you're looking for. You're, at, you're dead on right. We have zero tangible proof objective verifiable all that stuff truth of God's existence but what we do have is proof of God's existence in that I see trees outside I see grass in the ground I see clouds in the air I see the sky I see you know stars I see the moon KG uh, kilogram Oliver said my testimony me too that's all we got and that's all we need. That's that's all we need because what that tells. What because again, without the Spirit of God resting and ruling and abiding in you, no matter what proof we give, if you will never be able to use that as a means of having a relationship with God. God has to get into that space and show you who He is on His own. That is his power, that is his might, that is his job, that is his responsibility. Our job is to present the truth. Our job is to present the gospel. What you, what choose, what you choose to do with that truth is then up to you. But it is not our job to prove God's existence. Because God himself has already made himself plainly known to the world. So we don't, so coming to us and asking us for tangible proof is a moot point because unless you have the eyes to see no matter what we give you you're not going to see it whatever no matter what we give you you're you're not going to approve no matter what we give you you're always going to have a counter to the point and again our desire is not to argue like you see there's a lot of people who've come through here and been like no you know that's not proof no, that's not proof. That's a conclusion. Or, no, that's still not proof. You're still not proving anything. That's the point. 
Our job is not to prove anything to anybody. Our job is just to present the truth. God's job is to prove himself to you. That's not my job. My job is not to prove him to you. You may want me to do that work, but I'm not getting in God's business. That's God's job. That's God's work. God's job is to prove himself. Because that's what he does. If you if you if we look out at um look at the book of Acts when Saul was on the road to Damascus, God knocked um Christ knocked Saul off his high horse, literally, and proved himself to Saul. That's what God does with all of us. He he he, he takes the scales off our eyes. He takes the hardness off our hearts. I don't do that work. All I do is present the gospel. All I do is present the truth. All I do is have conversations. That's all we as Christians do. But we do so because God has shown us who he is. And it is so incredibly amazing that if, that, that no, not if, it is so freaking amazing that we want y'all to come with us. We want y'all to come with us. Like, it's like we're on, we're going to the beach and we're telling you, hey, let's go to the beach. I've been to the beach. It's like we've been playing in the backyard, playing, you know, and, and playing, you know, getting some, some, some getting a, a, a water hose and making some mud and playing in the mud, right? And then someone takes me to the beach and I'm like, dude, the beach is freaking awesome. And I come back and I'm telling you, dude, I've been to the beach. I want to go to the beach. Let's go to the beach. Nah, I'm good with my mud pies. I don't want to go. I'm like, How do you know that the beach exists? I've seen it. I've seen it. I've, I've seen it. I, like, come on, let's go. I, I don't want to go. I don't want to play. I'm, I'm good with my mud pies. I'm good with my mud pies. That is what it feels like to be a part of the kingdom. Like we, we've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And because of that, we want y'all to come with us. We want unbelievers to come with us but at the end of the day it is not our job to do the work of convincing you our job is to present the truth and then as um as kilogram oliver said planting the seed and as we plant the seed god does the work of producing the harvest and so again we say all that to say it's not our job it's not our responsibility to prove god's existence if you want the proof, if you really want the proof that bad, ask God. You've asked everybody else. Ask God. But then, in asking him, accept his answer. Because he's not obligated to answer you the way you want to be answered. He is obligated to do nothing except what he wants to do. And so if you want the proof, ask him for the proof. Because who else is going to give it to you but him? But at the end of the day, you got to ask him and then accept his answer. Because whatever his answer is, is his answer. It's not our job to, tell, to, prove, any, to prove to anybody of God's existence. We walk by faith not by sight. And so, again, like you said to Thomas, you, you feel, the, feel the nail prints and you believe. That's awesome. I'm great. I'm glad you believe. But blessed are those 
who have not seen and yet believe. We don't, we don't, we haven't seen them face to face yet. Most of us, but one day we will, and we walk out that faith in the in the in the in the hope of knowing that one day we will see him again. We will see him for the first time face to face, according to Revelation 21. And so I'm saying again all that to say, it's not our job to prove the existence of God. That's God's job. So I gladly step out of God's way and allow him to show himself to any and everyone who want an opportunity to see that objective, verifiable, unbiased proof of his existence. To come to the knowledge of knowing that we are the proof of God's existence by virtue of the fact that we're here. He created us, he made us, and formed us in the image of the creator from one degree of glory to the next. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show right here on TikTok Live with your boy Eddie D. We are live Monday through Friday, uh, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, thank you guys for the 1,600 likes so far. Thank you for the follows and thank you for the shares. I uh, certainly do appreciate you guys so, so much. Know that if you do decide to give uh, to this live, every dime that you give is going straight to the True Gospel Ministry. None of that money goes to me. Um, I am I, I got my own job, pay my own bills, make my own money. And so none of this money that you give goes to me. It all goes straight to the ministry for the upkeep of our um, websites and our subscriptions to keep everything going and know that even if you don't give to that I got that covered so you don't even have to worry about that but if you would like to give I am more than uh, more than grateful for any gift that you do give to this ministry um, for the again for the upkeep of the websites and the in the podcast that we have on Spotify um, for the sake of getting this gospel message out to as many people as would like to hear uh, so I do again thank you guys so so much for your um, for your time, we thank you guys so so much. Let me get into these comments real quick and see um, what's going on in these comments. Um, let's see, I had to mute a couple people because it was getting a little too Brody in here. Um, let me see, let me see. Um, um, go ahead and mute that too. Um, somebody asked the question, do dogs go to heaven? No, dogs, the dogs do not go to heaven. They do not have souls. Um, so no, they will not be in heaven with us. We're going to get a new um, dog. We're going to go get new animals when we get there. Um, let's see. Everybody said this is the religion of Massa. And we've been through all, we've been through that argument 50, 11 times. So we're not about to go through that again. Um, so um, the second topic that we're going to be talking about today um, is about cycles of sanctification and, and for this I'm going to um, play a clip um, that I want you guys to hear. Give me one second, let me cue it up.
prob I'm probably not the only person that looks at a pile of laundry and I see it as evidence there's something wrong with me that I can't get the laundry done. I signed up to make sure that my family always has clean clothes. I did not sign up to make sure they never have dirty ones. We're used to going, is the laundry done or is it not done? Oh. Your laundry exists in a cycle. You have clothes that are clean in the closet. You have clothes that are on your body. You have clothes that are dirty on the floor. You have clothes that are dirty in the hamper. You have clothes that are dirty waiting to go in the wash. You have some in the wash. You have some there. That's a cycle. It's okay for any of it to be in that cycle. And you are not morally obligated to line up every care cycle in your home at the done state at the same time. The key is how do I learn to turn all of these cycles at a pace where it's functional. Oh. My. God. That was off a podcast by Mel Robbins. Um, I'm trying to see who was she talking to. She was talking to Casey Davis. Um, and the question she was answering was, how can I be successful in, in many areas of my life but fall short on getting the laundry, dishes, or grocery shopping done? Um, and so Casey Davis gave a brilliant answer that reminded me of the relationship that we have with God and how sometimes we as Christians can defeat ourselves when it comes to sanctification. Um, many of us, when we come into our relationship with God, we are assuming that all of a sudden, all of our desires, all of our, all of our desires that are contrary to God, all of the sin, all of the temptation, all of the bad habits that we once had are just going to go away. They're just going to wash off of us. That when we're cleansed of our unrighteousness, that the desire to sin is going to go away. Um, but as Romans chapter 7 reminds us, nah, bro, it don't work like that. It, it, for most of us, it don't work like that. There have been some people who have miraculously had the taste of whatever they used to do eradicated from them, and they don't want that stuff no more. But for some of us, nah, when we got saved, we still had some really big issues with sin. Some really big issues with sin. And a lot of us, when we get into our walk with God, when we're in, the, we're in our walk with God, matter of fact, Matthew chapter 13, let me go ahead and, and turn there, God is... God is ministering to me in that regard right now. Go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter 13. Um, when, we, when, we, when we're in our walk with God and we're doing our thing for God, suddenly we're hit with temptation or we're hit with a desire or we're hit with a, a, a tribulation of some sort. And we think that because we're in our walk with God that, you know, that we're just going to overcome everything with the power of might and we're going to be okay. But then we fall right back into sin. We fall right back into temptation. We fall right back into desire. We are overcome by the tribulation or the trial that we're in. Jesus said it like this in the parable of the sower. When he explained the parable of the sower. He said, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, verse 20 and 13. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. 
Um, what happens a lot of times is that we as believers, we feel as though um, we must not have a relationship with God because we're going through something or because the temptation will not leave us alone. We feel as though we don't have a walk with God because either the, the temptation won't go away or, you know, we're going through a hard trial and we just can't, we, that thing just won't leave us alone. What scripture reminds us is that, um, you know, as we're walking and going about the things that we do from one day to the next, we are to set our minds on things above and put sin to death. That is a daily thing that we're doing every single day. The cycle of sanctification is such to where as we're being molded and shaped into the image of our, of, of our Savior from one degree of glory to the next, every so often, the deeper we get in with God, the more He's going to show us how we're not like Him, and He's going to pull some things and, and, and examine some things and show us some things by way of both word and deed, where we're falling short. And so every so often, God will, as he's in our hearts, he's going to expose an area of our hearts that we may have been trying to keep away, trying to keep locked away, trying to keep at bay, and say, hey, what's that over there? What's going on over there? And for many of us, we don't want them to go over there. We don't, we're like, no, 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 leave that alone. Leave, 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 that, leave that where it is. Just keep that off to the side. Leave that alone. But God is like, no, we need to look at that. We need to examine that. And sometimes that examination comes through the form of a desire that shows up randomly, a temptation that shows up randomly, a trial or a tribulation that shows up randomly. And in that space, in that space, we find, we find that God will see what he will see what he sees and show us what he sees through that situation and through that circumstance. Now, for us, we feel like we're hurting or we feel like, you know, we've hurt God's feelings and we feel like, you know, man, it must mean that I'm not a Christian because I'm still, you know, out here partying. I'm still out here, you know, trying to drink myself silly. I still, you know, I'm having, you know, wanting to have loose sex with folk, and I'm still not um, honoring God with my body. I'm still, you know, I'm um, having a desire to, um, to, to, you know, to, I'm still not reading my word hard enough. I'm not praying hard enough. I'm not really engaged in, you know, in, 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 in church like I want to be, and, and I, and I really don't know God like that, and, and I, and I still want to watch what I want to watch, and, do what I want to do and I just don't I don't feel like I'm a Christian I don't feel like I'm really doing the things that God would have me to do and what Paul says in 2nd Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 7 is what uh, is what we as the believers have to consider as we're walking along with God he says godly grief produces a repentance that leads to a salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you 
it was not for your sake, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. What he says to us is that whenever we do feel that we have done something wrong in the eyes of God, and we're wrestling and struggling and and, and, and battling sin, that is an indication of a relationship with God. When we know that we're doing wrong and we're wanting so badly to rid ourselves and shed ourselves of the wrong that we're doing, that is an indication that we have a relationship with God. And so, as we talked about yesterday, I'm reminded of the fact that this is the cycle of sanctification that we go through. Whenever we have, whenever we've messed up, whenever we've made a mistake, whenever we've fallen short, the Holy Spirit gives us, does four things for us, at least four things for us. He convicts us of our sin. That's first. Like, although God overlooks sin by virtue of Christ dying and rising again, so that, that gives us entry into the kingdom, he's not going to let us revel in sin and use grace, you know, um, and, and, and cheapen his grace. He's not going to let us cheapen his grace. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit is going to do is he's going to convict us of our sin. That is sometimes where we fall, where we trip up right immediately because we don't want to feel bad. I want to feel good all the time. And God is supposed to be a God of love. And so I'm not, so I don't want to feel bad about my sin. I don't want to feel bad about the things that I've done wrong. I don't want to feel bad about anything that's going on with me. I don't want to feel that. And so anytime that we're convicted of our sin, we try to avoid that feeling all the time. As people who don't like pain, people who don't like you know, issues and problems, we try to avoid that as much as we can. And so we'll try everything that we can to try to push that to the side. You know, when my wife and I were going through our issues and our problems, my biggest issue, one of the biggest issues I had was trying to hide the fact that I was doing wrong and hide the fact that I was doing something that was contrary to what I was supposed to be doing both as a man of God and a husband to a wife and a father to my kids. And so what I would try to do is when I was convicted of the wrong that I was doing, I would try to push it away. And I would push it away in the form of just trying to make everybody feel better, trying to make my wife feel good, trying to make sure the kids are good, trying to make sure everybody's good and okay so that I can hide this pain and absolve myself of the pain that I'm feeling on the inside rather than pressing into that space. You know, for a lot of us, that's what we do. We will try to avoid the pain of the conviction of sin by trying to run away from the situation, run away from the issue, and never looking at and confronting the issue that we're in. That is actually a cycle of sin. Where once we've done wrong, the worldly grief that we feel, the worldly grief, how it produces death, is by when we feel it, we try to avoid it. When we feel it, we try to dismiss it. When we feel it, we try to push it away. When we feel it, we try to try to supersede it with good deeds. Like I've done such a bad thing, I need to top it by doing about five or six good things so that way God don't count me out the kingdom because of the one thing that I've done wrong. 
or because I hurt my brother or sister, you know, I'm going to cover it up by doing five or six different things. Notice how when, you know, when, when we do something wrong to our spouses or our boyfriends and girlfriends, we'll go and buy them a gift as a way of trying to say sorry. <clears throat> See, if I could do a number of things, I can overlook the thing, we can overlook the thing that I did bad because I got you some gifts. I got you some things here. So we try to absolve ourselves of the thing that we've done, but we're avoiding the pain that God is trying to use to make us better. That is how cycles of sin work. We avoid the pain. We avoid the conviction so that we can feel good in our flesh. All the while our spirits and our souls are like, bruh, no, we got to look at this thing. This is this is not of God. We got to uh, we got to purge this. We got to figure this out. We got to push this. We got to we got to we got to get God to, to, to infiltrate this space. So what a cycle is so the first step of cycle of the cycle of sanctification is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We got to sit in that. We got we got we got we got to acknowledge that. We got to acknowledge that. We got to acknowledge that yeah, I messed up. I made a mistake. I did something wrong. I gotta, we, we gotta sit in that for a bit. And in sitting in it, figure out why am I doing this? Because oftentimes, sin, the act of sin, is a symptom of a much bigger problem that lies underneath the surface. You know how, how they talk about icebergs, how, you know, we see the, 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 the cap of the iceberg, but then the iceberg below is so much bigger than what's, un, that's what's above the surface. That's what sin is for us. What we do, our actions, are indicative of a much bigger problem, a much bigger issue that we've yet to take to the cross. A lot of the issues that I had in, 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 in the, oh my God, words. The biggest problem that I had in my marriage, you know, was not inappropriate conversations in, in people's DMs. My problem was people pleasing. My problem was, you know, the feeling of rejection. My problem was I had not fully accepted the acceptance of God in my life to where now I no longer needed people's approval or people's pats on the back in order to feel good about myself. And so any sin that I committed was indicative of a much bigger problem. But every time I tried to cover the sin, the problem, the action, every time I tried to cover that, I never looked underneath the surface to see what was really going on. And so when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit of, what, of, of the sin that we're in, we can't just say, God, forgive me and move on. No, we got to look at this. What's really going on here? What is it that I'm really dealing with? What's underneath the surface? I tell people all the time, go to therapy. Sometimes these issues are too big for us to figure out. And God has equipped trained professionals to dig underneath the surface, to ask the right questions, to figure out what's going on that's causing these sins to show up and manifest themselves time and again. And so if we figure out what those things are, we now know what to bring to Jesus. I now know what to bring to the cross. I don't know what to bring to the altar. Lord God, help me in this space. Help me with this situation. Help me with this circumstance. Help me to help me with my people pleasing issues. Help me with my desire to be liked and my desire to be loved and my desire to be accepted and my desire to be validated so that I might not sin against you. 
but we got to first walk through that conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's the first part of the cycle of sanctification. The second piece of that cycle is then being comforted by the Holy Spirit by being reminded that Christ died for our sins. The, 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 what some of us also trip up on about is the fact that we forget about Christ. We forget that he died for our sins. And because we forget that, we think, oh man, I messed up again. This must mean I'm not a part of the kingdom. I'm just going to give up on God. I can't get it together. I can't get it right. I can't, I can't figure it out. I don't understand. I don't get it. I must not be. A, I'm just gonna do what I want to do because apparently, you know, no matter what I try, no matter what I do, I'm always doing the same thing over and over and over again. So this doesn't mean I'm not a part of the kingdom. Nah, bruh. If you believe in Christ and believe that God raised Him from the dead, you are saved. That's cool. That's that's bit. That's Bible. So just because we're making mistakes does not count you out of the kingdom. But don't, but but you but you can't allow sin to overtake you to the point where you feel like you're not a part of the kingdom no more, because that actually might be an indication of a totally different thing that you may have never been in it. But that's a conversation for another day. But the point is, that's where some of us get tripped up. We forget about Jesus. The Holy Spirit's job is to remind us, hey, Christ died for that. Stop beating yourself up. Christ died for that. Christ. He died for you. He died knowing that you were going to mess up. Knowing that even after you became a part of this kingdom, you were going to make mistakes. You were going to fall short. You were going to mess up. Christ died knowing that. So stop beating yourself up over that. Because all you're doing is making it more difficult for yourself to, one, be comforted by the power of God in you. And two, to overcome the sin. Because that's what sin comes to do. It comes to, to try to snatch our salvation. To try to snatch our joy. To snatch our peace. That's what sin does. It's there, as a, it's there to, 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 to knock us off course. And to make us feel like, well, I must not be saved then. But the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is living in you, going to be like, nah, bro. Christ died. So that you can live. So get up. Which is part three. Encourages us. He encourages us to get up. My, my, I told y'all yesterday, the Holy Spirit speaks to me and, told, and tells me, get the F up, man. Get up. Like, stop wallowing in this mess. No, get up. Get up from, your, get up from this mess. Get up from this situation. You are too, you are too, in, you're in the kingdom, man. You are in the kingdom. Get up from there. Get up from that space. Remember the word of God. Remember when it tells you that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Remember when it tells you that if I'm for you, that I'm more than a world against you. <clears throat> Remember when it says that even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil for you, for, for I am with you. I told you that I'm with you even into the, into the end of the age, always. God tells us I'm here. I'm present. You know, he tells us that the peace that surpasses all understanding with God, our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it starts just rattling off scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture, word after word after word after word to encourage our spirit to get up, to get up from the mess, to get up from our issues, to get up from our problems. And in such and in, and in such, he then empowers us to do all of that. He gives us the power to, to be strengthened, to be emboldened, and to be encouraged to put sin to death. And the more that we walk with God, 
the more that we walk with God, the more that that cycle we will become the automatic position in our lives to help us interrupt the cycle of sin. So that when sin arises, when the opportunity to sin arises, the Holy Spirit will call to our remembrance, hey, remember, you're better than this. Hey, remember, you are a child of God. Hey, remember, you were bought with a price. Hey, remember, that thing you're about to do, it is not going to satisfy you the way that you think it is in this moment. Yeah, it may be pleasing to your flesh, but you know it's going to hurt your soul. And that's a far worse damage that you can do to yourself than actually going through and having this moment that you know is not godly. You know it's not meant to, it's not it's not good for your soul. That's the Holy Spirit's job to remind us that yeah, it might feel good. I'm listen, I'm listen, we gonna call spades spades here. Sin feels good sometimes, okay? Sin sometimes feels amazing, and yet it is a fleeting feeling that does more harm to our souls than we're willing to admit sometimes. And so we so again the Holy Spirit's gonna tell us, hey. It ain't that ain't what you want. That ain't what you want. Might want to leave that alone. That ain't what you want. Let it go. I'm trying to tell you, we've been down this path before. And the more that we revel in God, the more that we delight ourselves in God, the more that we, you know, we 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 um we set our minds on things above, set our minds on things eternal, the easier it becomes to put sin to death. Didn't say it'd be easy. But it will be easier because the love that we have for God, empowered by a Holy Spirit, will propel us to interrupt the cycle of sin by saying, yes, that may be the thing that I want to do right now, but God is greater. God is better. God is more. And because of that, my love for him supersedes my desire to sin to the point where I don't want to do that, where it's no longer I who live, you know, as it says in Romans chapter 7, but it, or I who do it, but it's the sin that lives in me, as he says in verse number 16, uh, verse number 15, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And so, once again, we thank God that he gives us this opportunity to be able to worship him in such a way to where we're able to interrupt the cycles of sin. To interrupt the cycles of sin by saying, I no longer want to do the things that I know are not pleasing to God. But if that situation arises where the desire to sin is trying to overtake the desire to please God, I have a living spirit inside of me that is helping me every step of the way to interrupt those cycles to where when it when the when the opportunity presents itself, I can say definitively, yes, the desire might be there. But my desire to please God supersedes it. See, the thing we got to remember, the thing we got to remember is that we, we, two things can be true at the same time. Two things can be true at the same time. Yes, the desire can be there. 
And yes, the desire to love God can be there too. So which one's going to supersede what? See, as Christians, we want so bad to say, the desire is gone. The desire is gone. No, I ain't sinning no more. You can't be a Christian and desire to sin no more. Yes, you can. Because the desire is not gone. We're still here. We still live in the flesh. The desire to sin is not going away till Jesus comes back. But we have a Holy Spirit living inside of us that empowers the desire to love God over the desire to sin. To where any temptation that we come, that, that arises, he provides a way of escape. And if, and if our desire to love God is great, is greater than the desire to sin, we will see the way of escape and we'll take it. Because our desire to love God supersedes the desire to sin. And as a result, we can interrupt those cycles so much so to where we get to a point where the desire to sin is lessened to the point where it's almost non-existent. But again, don't be fooled because sin has a way of creeping up on us. And if we're not actively pursuing putting sin to death, as much as we're actively seeking God, Again, they're on equal footing. No one's, no one is greater than the other. We're doing both simultaneously, according to Colossians chapter three. Then, if we don't actively put our sin to death, actively call those things out that are not of God, actively allow the Word to read us so that it can shine light on the dark areas of our lives and point out the things that should and should not be of Him, then we run the risk of sin overcoming us and overtaking us and overpowering us, catching us by surprise. So. Don't be so bold and, 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 and walk in a spirit of, of, of arrogance of thinking, I've overcome my sin. Yes, you've overcome your sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, but you need that spirit every single day to overcome sin. So in humility, we overcome sin because it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me who is empowering me by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us to overtake sin, to, to, to beat down sin, to take it out in the backyard and beat and beat the brakes off of it every single day. Again, we cannot, we cannot um, underestimate the power of Satan, the power of our temptations, the power of, the power of tribulations. Those things come to try to push us out of the kingdom, to try to push us away from the power that we are reveling in. <clears throat> and so, again, we got to be ever so careful and ever so mindful that as we're going through our trials and our tribulations, being tempted to do this, that, and the third, that we are being empowered by our Holy Spirit, uh -oh, that we are being empowered by our Holy Spirit to do uh, the work of putting sin to death and living for God. Again, it cannot be um it cannot be um um stressed enough that it's not enough to do one or the other. It's not enough to just put sin to death. It's not enough to just live for God. We got to do both simultaneously. But we are empowered by a Holy Spirit to do both simultaneously. And as, and if we make mistakes and if we fall short, don't fall into the trap of worldly grief. Where worldly grief says Man, I'm, I guess I'm just not saved then. I messed up again. I must not be a Christian because I keep messing up. I keep making mistakes. I keep doing wrong. I keep this. I keep doing that. That's not, that's not, that's not godly grief. That's worldly grief. Worldly grief leads to death because we didn't, okay, well, then I'm just not going, I'm not, I'm not even going to try to be a Christian no more. Bump this Christian thing. Godly grief says, 
be convicted of your sin. I messed up, made a mistake. Holy Spirit is saying, you made a mistake, you messed up. Let's understand why. Let's unpack why. Let's figure out why. Comfort. Hey, you, you got a living Savior. He died and rose again for your sins. So stop beating yourself up. You stop beating yourself up. Christ died for that. He, he knew you were going to make that mistake. Yeah, it hurts. And you're going to have to apologize to some folk about what, for what you did. You're going to have to apologize to God for what you did. But it's okay. Christ died for that. Encouragement. Get up. Stop wallowing. You wallow long enough. You're a child of God. You're a joint heir with Christ. You're an heir of God. Get up from get up from there. You don't have to stay down there no more. Get up from that mess. In empowerment. I'm going I'm giving you the power. I'm giving you the power to be able to overcome any trial, any tribulation, any frustration, any falling short. I've given you the power. So get up from there and let's get to and let's get to work. And again, and that godly grief produces with the produce um godly grief leads to repentance, turning back to God and produces salvation without regret. I don't have to regret anything that I've done wrong to the point where I'm feeling I'm beating myself up. I am godly sorry for everything that I've ever done to anybody. Um any person that I've ever hurt godly sorry for anything that I've done and take full responsibility and accountability for anything that I've done wrong and any person that I've hurt as a result of my sin and my shortcomings um, I take full accountability for that but do I have any regret as it pertains to my walk with God and how much I've grown in him no I don't regret anything because it took everything that's happened in my life for my relationship to God with relationship with God to be where it is and so I regret nothing that's happened in my life, good, bad, or indifferent, because all roads led to the Savior. This road led to the cross. This road led to Jesus. And so I don't have to regret anything that I've done because everything that I've done led me to where I am. And God, in his infinite wisdom, allowed all things to work together for the good of me because I love him, but was according to his purpose. Um... Alyssa, answer your question. I'm gonna wrap up my statement in two minutes, and then I'm um and then I'm gonna answer your question. So um ask your question, but don't go anywhere. Um, and so again, I'm saying all this to say, you know, our cycles of sanctification are such to where um we are interrupting the cycles of sin by being empowered by our Holy Spirit to be reminded of the good work of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, recognize that we are a part of the kingdom. And in being a part of the kingdom, we are actively seeking Christ, putting sin to death, and interrupting the cycles in such a way to where when sin presents itself, we are walking away. We are walking away from, we're walking away from sin. Um, and in doing so, uh, uh, taking the way of escape so that the, the cycles of sin can be interrupted and can be the automatic response to what we do as believers. Watching the True Gospel Morning Show right here on TikTok Live with your boy Eddie D. Uh, we're thankful for everyone who has joined the live. We're thankful for the 1,600 likes. Thank you for everyone who has followed. And thank you for everyone who's been asking questions. Just like Alyssa down there in the comment box. She asked, what does the Lord mean when he says a man must be born again of water and spirit? And so going to turn to Matthew chapter, I mean, not Matthew, John chapter 3, which is where, um, where Jesus talks about that. 
Okay. John chapter 3, and I'm going to read um, to uh, verse um, 17. I'm going to read to verse 17. Read all the way from 1 to 17. So, buckle up. Hold on tight. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know, and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you, if I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Oh, wait, I just went back to what we talked about earlier today. I'm going to remember that. Um, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through the, the, the order that the world might be saved through him. Now, um, turn to um, chapter four of that same book, of the uh, same letter, uh, same um, book of John, and we're going to start at um, verse. We're going to start at verse seven. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and we, he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Let's now turn to John chapter, um, I believe it's 13. Starting at verse number 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that this hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, 
Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, to wash to, and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If, you do, if I do not wash you, you will have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Now, I don't know where this verse is, so i got to look it up really quickly, but it's the last thing that I'm going to read when he talks about, um, talks about um, Noah. Let's see if I can find it really quick. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it off the top of my head. I'm trying to remember where it's at. I believe it's in I believe it's in First Corinthians. Um, is it in First Corinthians? Um, I can't remember where it is off the top of my head. I believe, I believe, um, let me see. Hold on. Maybe I found it. Um, hold on. Give me a second, because if I, if I can find it. So there's a piece, there's a scripture that Paul says that talks about Noah and the fact that the, um, that the flood was a metaphor of the cleansing that has to be done for all to all of us. Um, and so the point, the point of the whole, the point of the whole thing is the question that's being asked is what is, what does Christ mean when he says that we have to be born of water and of spirit? Some people have taken the word water to mean that we have to be baptized, dunked in the water in order to be saved. But that is not what Jesus is referring to here. Um, when Jesus says that we are to be baptized in both of both water and spirit, we have to think about what does water represent to Christ. And for Christ, they represent two things. One, it represents a cleansing, a cleansing of our sin in our uncleanness, in our unrighteousness. Um, throughout scripture, we find that you f we find there are several situations and circumstances where water is being used to clean things, to purify things, to make things, um, to make things, um, to make things new, to make things pure. And that is what God does with us as he cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Keep, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, Alyssa says, Jesus is that water. Exactly, exactly. So we, when we're baptized in him, he is cleansing us of all unrighteousness, number one. Number two, when we seek him and choose him, when, when, when we choose him and seek him, he is the living water that, that springs up in us. That any time that we're thirsting for righteousness, we shall be filled 
because that spring that's up in us through the power of the Holy Spirit is always in us. And so we're constantly drinking of the well that never runs dry. If we ever feel dry in our souls, dry in our, to our marrow, to our bones, God says, drink of me and you'll never be thirsty again. Eat of me as the bread of life. You will never go hungry again. Upon repentance and belief, not only does he cleanse us water-wise of our unrighteousness, but then he springs in our hearts a living well of water that never runs dry. He becomes the, 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 the source of our soul's quench, quench uh, soul's thirst being quenched. That He becomes the source of that. He becomes the source of our soul's um, thirst being quenched. That's the water part. That's the water part. Um, the spirit part, obviously, he, when he gives us his spirit, you know, we're baptized in the spirit. We're baptized in, um, we're baptized in the spirit. And as a result of that, we are, we are, when we're baptized in the spirit of God, you know, he gives us his spirit. Um, and everybody understands that part, but, um, most everybody understands that part, but that water part is not talking about a, a, a baptism in the water. It's talking about a living water that never runs dry and a cleansing of all unrighteousness. And so again, as you go throughout scripture and see the different ways in which water is being used, Christ is using that as a metaphor to talk about how he uses the spiritual water to cleanse us from our iniquities, to cleanse us from our sins, to cleanse us from our unrighteousness, and to make us, and to wash us clean, um, and, to, and to make us holy, and to make us righteous. Um, and that living and that living water is constantly replenishing us. That's why we keep running back to the word. That's why we keep running back to the Savior. That's every time that's, that we're going through something, we run to the Savior. When we have good times, we're running to the Savior. Because he is the well that never runs dry. Great question. Great question. Thank you, Alyssa, for that question. I really do appreciate that um, so, so much. And grateful um, that, you, that you did that. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. She says, so in the before Jesus came... John baptized, but now only Jesus baptizes 100%. Jesus, that's why he says, you know, that it's Jesus that saves. We we give the word. What's going on, um, Bang? It's good to see you this morning. Um, we give the word, but it's God that saves. It's God that rescues. It's God that ransoms. We, we All we do is present. All we do is present by word and deed the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's God that's got to convict that heart. It's God that's got to get in there and show us who he is and show us that he's that living water that won't run dry and show us that he's that bread of life. It's God. We, we, we get out of God's way by a lot, by just giving, pre presenting the gospel to them in hopes that they will have a relationship with him. You're watching the true gospel morning show right here on TikTok live with your boy, Eddie D. Uh, we are here Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, thank you so much for the 2000 likes that we've gotten today. Thank you so much for the follows. Thank you so much for the likes. Um, and we're thankful to God that he has given us this platform to be able to share truth and knowledge with you guys um, and hoping that um, it helps someone along the way um, to continue um, their relationship with God. And for those who don't have a walk, that hopefully we're saying something that gives you something to at least chew on and think about in hopes that maybe you may want to join our, um, our band of brothers and sisters um, in the Lord. And so we're here again till 8 a.m. I got a few more minutes with you guys before I got to get out of here for the day. I'm going to scroll through these comments and see what's going on in here. Um, see, I had somebody to say, um, so the devil put the betrayal in Judas's heart. Is it still his fault? 
Um, so, let me see. Do I feel like going there? You know what? <clears throat> sure, why not? So, um, let me see if I can find it. Matter of fact, let me use good old Google. Luke 17. All right. Trying to see if I can find it. Because I don't want to steer us in the wrong direction. Um, Matthew 26. There it is. Okay, Matthew 26, starting with verse 20. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, it is, I, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. So, what we have to understand about the nature and the character of God is that God knows everything. And so, yes, he absolutely knew that he was going to be betrayed. Just like he knows every person who is not going to follow him. He knows. He exists outside of time. And so he, in his permissive, in his will, has given all of us free will. And in that free will, we have the ability to do whatever we want to do. The reason why Judas is not going to heaven... It's because he did not repent and believe in Jesus. 
it's not because he betrayed Jesus, even though that was pretty effed up. But it's that's not the reason why Judas isn't going to heaven. Judas isn't going to heaven because he didn't repent and believe in Jesus. That's the reason why any of us who aren't going to heaven aren't going to heaven because we didn't repent and believe in Jesus. So Judas was going to betray Jesus regardless. But it wasn't in it wasn't the it wasn't Jesus's desire for Judas to go and, you know, hang himself after the fact. Judas could have still entered the kingdom of heaven because oh my god <laughs> because because even on the cross Jesus said to God Father forgive them for they know not what they do so that tells us that tells us even when Jesus is on the cross and he has every right to condemn the people that are, that are literally killing him he says, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Because it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, man, y'all about to give me a heart attack of joy on this Whew. It says in verse number 8 of chapter 2, none of the rulers of this age understood this, this being the secret and hidden wisdom of God. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So, Everything had to happen the way that it had to happen, but it happened not so that the Jewish people could be condemned. <clears throat> it couldn't have been it couldn't have been condemned. They he they had to do that so he could die on the cross and rise again. But if they were to believe in him, even even after he rose from the dead. They still would have got in the kingdom because it's not about your actions. It's about your heart's posture. Your heart's posture will lead to the actions. Will lead to the actions. Condemnation only comes to people who do not believe in Jesus. Period. Like that, that's, Jesus said it himself in John 3.16, which we just read. 317 God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him but the stipulation is that you gotta repent and believe you gotta repent and believe if you don't believe in him if you don't repent to him you are not getting in the kingdom and that salvation is free for all including the Jews who killed him because Jesus said Hey, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. And if they repent and believe in me, don't count this against them. If Judas, after betraying him, giving the 30 pieces of silver back to the arm um, to the people, like, you know, I can't take this money. If he, in that worldly grief, would have turned that over to godly grief, repented for what he did, he would be in the kingdom. Peter denied him. After walking with this man for three years, the man's getting brought up to um, be crucified, and Peter like, I don't know that man. I don't know this man. Mm -mm, I don't know that man. Three times. Three times. He, he, <laughs> and, and God said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. You love me? Feed my lambs. Like, that's what God does. 
God loves us so much that even when, even when you know, everyone's betrayed, everyone has, has turned their backs on him, Jesus like, if you repent, turn around, turn back to me, denounce all the other, forsake all others, and cling to me. Dude, it, it, it can't get any simpler than that. So again, yes, was it meant that Judas Iscariot was going to be the one to betray Jesus? Somebody had to do it in order for him to get to the cross. Just like we see in all of our movies and all our TV shows, somebody got to be the bad guy. It sucks, but somebody got to be the bad guy in order to push this thing and to push this thing forward. And so because of that, and you know, Judas was a hero. I'm not going to call him a hero per se, but I am going to say if it had not been for him through the orchestration of God, Christ wouldn't have got on that cross. So everything had to happen the way that it had to happen. Judas still could have been in the could have been a part of the kingdom if he just would have repented and believed. If he just would have repented and believed. And so again, it wasn't that he he wasn't it wasn't that he um you know that it wasn't that he that he you know betrayed Jesus that that was the sin that he committed that cost him the kingdom. That wasn't it. Cuz we come on. Oh god, you are so good. We have betrayed Jesus. In our active rebellion against God, we betrayed Jesus and pretty much nailed him to the cross over and over and over again. Every time we committed a sin, every time we thought wrong, every time our heart's posture was away from God, we, we betrayed Jesus in that, in, in, that, in that same breath. And as a result, we all deserve the same fate. And yet, in our repentance and belief, we've escaped. We have escaped the penalty of sin. We've escaped the penalty of death. And as a result of that, we have the same entry into the kingdom that, G that Judas could have had, despite the fact that he was the, the pri one of the primary drivers to getting Jesus to the cross that night. And so again, it's not, again, you know, yes, it had to happen the way that it had to happen. Nevertheless, Judas still could have been a part of the kingdom. His story did not have to end that night. He could have just as, just as, all the other disciples who abandoned him turned right back to him. Judas could have done the same thing. Now, I don't know if they would have made him an apostle anymore, but then they wouldn't have had no ground to stand on to, 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 to knock him out of the um, out of apostleship anyway, because Peter denied him three times. And he was the main he was the main one. <laughs> he, he was the he was the leader. And so again, that is that is why um Judas you know, betrayed because it was meant to be. But even in that, he still had a choice to repent and turn back to God. Like he that he didn't have to, you know, end his life the way that he did in that sorrowful grief. And, and so at the end of the day, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that is what gains us entry into the kingdom. It's not our works, it's not our might, it's not our will, but it is a repentance and belief in him, a denouncing of all things that are not like God and pledging allegiance and affections to God and then pushing all of our chips in that says, if I'm wrong about God, I am doomed. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show right here on TikTok Live with your boy Eddie D. I'm with y'all from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Monday through Friday. Certainly grateful for all of you guys that are here and grateful for the 2,000 likes that we have gotten. Um, Lucianne Brown says, if someone believes in Jesus but then dies in their sin, are they saved if they don't repent? So there is a big difference between sins 
in terms of actions and sin posture of the heart. If we are saved, if we are saved, again, repentance and belief, I've denounced all of my sin, I've denounced my allegiance to sin, my devotion to sin, my love for sin, I'm denouncing all of that, and I'm putting Christ at the uppermost. And my belief, I'm pushing all my chips in. I believe in everything that Christ says, everything that Christ does, every, everything Christ says I can do, everything he says I can't do. I'm putting all my chips in with him. You are saved. That is the prerequisite for salvation. Now, sanctification is the active ongoing work of the Holy Spirit of making us more like Christ every day. Which means we as Christians are going to mess up sometimes. Sometimes we are going to mess up in big ways. Sometimes we'll mess up in small ways. But we are going to mess up. We are going to make mistakes. We are going to fall short. If it just so happens that we fall short of, of, of the glory of God and do something dumb and we die without saying the words, God forgive me for that sin that I did in that moment, um, we are still in the kingdom. Because God is not looking for us to absolve ourselves of our sins by saying every day, God, please forgive me for what I've done. It is a heart posture to seek constant forgiveness. But it is not a, a matter of going to confession and confessing our sins every day to make sure, okay, God, I, whew, okay, I got all my sins taken care of for the day. Okay, I'm good. I'm still, I'm still a part of the kingdom. Because if that's the case, then that nullifies the work of Christ. Christ died for all sin, past, present, and future. He died for all of that. So if we are the believers in God, we have nothing to fear in terms of our, you know, whether or not we're going to make it in the kingdom if we make a mistake and then we die. That's not, that's not, the, that's not, a, that's not talking about a heart posture. It's talking about sin counts. And all of our sins have been forgiven. All of them. Now, our heart's posture should be such to where godly grief comes in and says, God, I am so sorry that I did that. Please forgive me. Then the Holy Spirit reminds us, you are already forgiven. You are already forgiven when he died on the cross. That's a heart's posture, though, and not a, um, not a ritual, not an action that we have to take in order to keep our salvation. Your salvation is not yours to lose if you have it. Because once you have it, you can't lose it in so much that the walk with God is such to where he decides who's his. And once you're his, no man, no power can pluck you out of his hands. There may be a season of drought in your life where you're not walking with God, but God is always walking with you. For while we are faithless, God is still faithful. And so... Again, repentance, the initial repentance is what gets us in the kingdom. Now, the constant repentance that we go through, the back and forth as we're going through sanctification, is a wholly different thing. But if we make a mistake and then die without seeking forgiveness for that mistake, it doesn't count us out of the kingdom if we're in the kingdom. It just means that in that moment, we made a mistake and it cost us, and we died, and now 
you know, that's one thing we don't get to, you know, talk to God about. But we'll just be with the Lord, and we might, if that's the last thing we remember, we'll be talking about, man, I am so sorry I did that. Man, don't even worry about that. You in the kingdom now. Don't even worry about that. You in the kingdom now. Don't even worry about that. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. Certainly grateful for everybody that is here today. Um, and let's see. Um, um, Righteous Thread says that's not true. Jesus said Judas was lost before Judas betrayed him. At that point, it was a wrap. Again, absolutely right. But what we were saying was Judas still had a chance to repent because of free will the free will to love God and at that time he had already made he had been made his choice like he's not rocking with Jesus and so again we also again yes that you're absolutely right but what we're saying is that people sometimes believe that it's because he betrayed Jesus that he's going to hell no that's not why he's going to hell he's going to hell because he didn't repent and believe in Christ and he stopped believing in Christ Long before that fateful night when he when he when he betrayed when uh, when he betrayed when the betrayal finally came to pass, and so again that's the whole point. Yes, it was a wrap for Judas, but it was a wrap for Judas because Judas had already made up in his mind that he wasn't rocking with Jesus, and as a result of that, that's what cost him the kingdom: repentance and belief. Not repenting, not believing, is what cost him the kingdom, but he still had a choice to to decide at that point. If he if he wanted to or not, the the record the recorder that basically says he made his choice and he was rocking with that choice even long after he felt bad about it, but he had already made his choice and that's why he's not a part of the kingdom. Um, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. I see y'all going through a whole lot of stuff. Um. Some people see y'all are going in, um, in down there. So I'm gonna let y'all keep having that conversation down there. Um, there's something that I saw that I wanted to speak on for the next five minutes, but I'm gonna let y'all keep talking. Um, let's see. Um. So while y'all are going through all of y'all's conversations, because I see you got some Christians going back and forth with some non-believers, which is fine and good. I'm simply going to say the same thing going full circle back to what I said at the beginning of our um, of our show. The reason why I don't go back and forth with y'all like I like I used to is because God has revealed to me that the things that God has given us in this world are the things that are made to show us who he is but those things can only be spiritually discerned only spiritually discerned it says again verse number 10 of 1st Corinthians chapter 2 these things God has revealed to us through the spirit and so as much as you know y'all we go back we could go back and forth all day long but at the end of the day unless God gives you a spiritual eye to see what he has shown us we are never going to see eye to eye and so the arguments that you guys have in the in the in, the, in this this feeling that you have of um of you know making yourself magnanimous and making yourself so big and bold and bad 
um, you know, it's a moot point. Because at the end of the day, you're sitting on a throne and making yourself feel good. And making yourself feel great by being, oh, you're not using logic. And there's no way that, you know, that God can give us free will. And this doesn't make sense. And the, this spiritually unethical and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, dude, we don't have the mind of God. And second, he's the creator of all things. Who am I to tell God how to run his kingdom? Who am I to tell God how to run his kingdom? Say it one more again. Who am I to tell God how to run his kingdom? He says to us in Proverbs chapter 3, we rediscovered this yesterday. This is what we believe as the believers. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So we don't we only won't spend time are arguing and debating with with, 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 with non-believers. And the reason being is because you don't have the eye to see it. And that's okay. That's, listen, that's okay. That's okay. You're relying on your intellect. You're relying on your feelings. You're relying on your people. You know, the echo chamber that you sit in to justify not believing in God. And that's okay. We just going to sit here and we going to keep talking about Jesus and you are welcome to stay. You know, I just, I might mute you, which you, if it was some of y'all might see, I might mute you, but you know, we still going to rock with you. We still going to love you and we still going to, um, and we still going to, you know, we're going to talk about the Lord in hopes that we say something or do something that gives you the opportunity want to get to know our God the way that we got to know him. I used to be where you were, you know, at one point or another, you know, wasn't believing in God like I was supposed to, you know, thinking that maybe there's something else out there and all that jazz, but Jesus had to show me some things. Jesus had to show me some things, not my pastor, not the preacher, not the teacher, not the, no, Jesus had to knock me off my horse and show me some things. And so that's why, again, you know, we're not going, not going to debate not going to argue with you. You know, what we're going to do is we're going to trust in the Lord with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. And we're not going to lean on our own understanding. We're just going to acknowledge him in all our ways because we realize that it takes God to change a heart. Debating with you all day long ain't going to change nothing. God's got to get in that space. God's got to touch that heart. God's got to touch that mind. And God's got to decide I'm going I'm going to change this person's mind about me and when that day comes come haul at us man come haul at us and let us know how God changed you because we love that we love hearing about that you know not how God changed us and how God turned us around we love that type of stuff and so again you know we don't have the tangible proof that you're looking for when it comes to proving the existence of God because everything that we can we can use to prove the existence of God, 
you have to have the eye to see God in what we do. Our testimonies, as Alyssa says, are powerful, 100%. But you still got to have a heart to hear what we're saying and not easily dismiss what we're saying by, oh, well, no, the doctor, it was the doctors that saved you. It wasn't God that saved you. It's the doctors and the miraculous work that they did when they put you under and did the surgery. Well, who do you think gave these doctors the mind to be able to do what they needed to do and to make sure they didn't nick an artery in the process? But again, you need the eyes to see. You need the ears to hear. You need the spirit to see exactly what it is that God is trying to say, what God is trying to reveal, what God is trying to show as we look out into the world and see the things that are plainly revealed to his people um, and in doing so, revealing himself to all of us. Listen. Thank you guys so, so much for watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy, Eddie D. Um, thank you guys so much for the 2,000 likes we got today. Thank you for the follows. Thank you for the comments. Thank you for the shares. Thank you so, so much for all that you guys are doing. Thank you for every person that came through, all the trolls that came through. We're thankful for y'all, too, as well. Y'all are always welcome um, here. Um, and we so thank you so, so much for giving me this opportunity to be able to share some, um, some truth with you guys. Uh, we're praying that you guys have a fantastic weekend in the name of the Lord. Uh, we are just so grateful and so thankful to all of you for doing everything that you do. Um, come back here on Monday. Uh, we, we will come back with some more truth, with some more knowledge, um, and some more wisdom. And hopes that, um, that it will touch your heart and touch your soul in some type of way. And as always, if you can't see the good, be the good. I love you guys. Peace out, homies.